BSI um, as as a standards body and and other national standards bodies around the world have such a such an essential role to play here in in helping ensure that the standards that we need for for the net zero transition are you know adequately adapted to realities of all countries and to really help enable this just transition to the net zero economy. BSI presents The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards with Matthew Childs and Cindy Parakil. Today's episode is on the relationship between carbon emissions, trade and standards. For us at the WTO, when that work is done, really well and effectively, it means actually that we have, have, have less work to do because that, that means naturally that there'll be less trade issues that arise. Um, and that's, that's ultimately the goal. I mean, we want to make as, as much as possible these, this to be a coherent system where everyone is using a, the same approach um, and that then makes trade and supply chains work much more smoothly. Hello, and welcome to The Standard Show. My name is Matthew Childs and I am with... Cindy Paragill. Hey, Cindy, how are you? Looking to remove all stumbling blocks, and you? (laughs) Trying to avoid being stumped for answers. (laughs) Now, the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. And we should say it's for anyone working in standards, using standards, studying and researching standards, or just plain curious about standards. Cindy, I suppose we could say, couldn't we, that it's for for anyone and everyone, really, from standards nerds to novices to newbies. Absolutely. Beautifully said, Matthew Childs. (laughs) And we should also say, if you're listening to us for the very first time, then welcome. And if you've been here before, then welcome back. Now, in this episode, we're looking at the relationship between carbon emissions, trade and standards, and doing so with a pretty important organisation, the World Trade Organisation, or the WTO, the global organisation dealing with the rules of trade between nations. Now, Cindy, you've been speaking to a couple of people from the WTO, haven't you? It was really a great conversation, um, an energising one, and they just have a brilliant way of simplifying complex issues, and I really enjoyed that. So the first is Devin McDaniels, who we heard at the top of the episode. Devin is Economic Affairs Officer in the Trade and Environment Division of the WTO and is the Deputy Secretary of the WTO Technical Barriers to Trade Committee. So he advises the 164 WTO member governments on issues relating to standards, regulation and trade. And the other is Matteo Ferrero, a counsellor in the Trade and Environment Division of the WTO. He spends half of his time on technical barriers to trade matters and the other half on the relationship between trade and the environment. And the reason for me speaking to Devin and Matteo is because they are two of the authors of a recent WTO policy paper called What Yardstick for Net Zero? The paper examines how WTO principles on regulation, international standards and conformity assessment can inform net zero efforts and help to avoid unproductive trade frictions that might arise from different methodologies as countries transition towards a low carbon economy. Yet, and the context for this is really important. At the opening of COP26, back on the 1st of November in 2021, the United Nations Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, said, There is a deficit of credibility and a surplus of confusion over emissions reductions and net zero targets, with different meanings and different metrics. Now, countries and companies around the globe are making ambitious climate pledges to meet net zero targets by 2050. And a precondition of achieving net zero is proper and accurate measurement and quantification of carbon emissions, because that is the only way we can make meaningful comparisons. And in order to do that, we need common metrics. But the challenge is that there's a variety of methodologies or yardsticks, to use the WTO term, that are being used at the international, national and industry levels, which leads to issues of credibility and ultimately trade tensions. So I brought Matteo and Devin together to discuss the key concepts in their paper. 
So we'll hear why it's important to use the same yardstick to measure and verify carbon emissions, and how international standards and the quality infrastructure system can help deliver climate policies by building trust and avoiding carbon leakage. We'll also hear ideas of how the WTO and international standards bodies could work together in partnership to address a key challenge of the trading system, offshoring to avoid CO2 regulations, building on the WTO rules and agreements. And finally, what kind of support developing countries need to ensure their carbon competitiveness in a global market and facilitate their smooth integration into green global value chains. I should also say that these issues will be the subject of a deep dive panel discussion with the WTO and others hosted by BSI at the ISO General Assembly from 19th to 23rd of September. Check out the show notes for more details of that. Deep dive, I like that. Now, also in this episode, we have a standards desk of news. Uh, This time with stories on a new standard for purpose-driven organizations, tables and chairs. But no, not that kind. Now, here on The Standard Show, we really welcome your feedback. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Find and follow us on Twitter at Standard Show and on Instagram at The Standard Show. And check out the show notes for all of the ways to get in touch. Now, in this first part of my conversation with Devin and Matteo, I asked them how standards and conformity assessment will help countries and companies shift to a low-carbon economy, and also how international standards and the quality infrastructure system can help deliver climate policies by building trust. But I start by asking them about the key challenges around carbon emissions and trade and how WTO rules can help address them, starting with Matteo. Absolutely, Cindy. Thank you for the question. So maybe just to, to set the scene a little bit, mm-hmm. let me start by, by sort of highlighting how given the climate change crisis we're living, we are seeing an increase of ambitious climate change pledges from both countries and companies around the world to basically reach net zero by 2050 or, or, or before or maybe a little bit thereafter. We saw that in Glasgow at COP26, where almost 130 countries made this type of net zero pledges, where there are hundreds or, or even thousands of companies uh, having similar pledges. Uh, and this will, of course, represent a massive shift in the way uh, goods and services are produced and traded around the world. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, in order to, to make these net zero commitments by, by companies, by countries, meaningful, we need to make sure that the quantification of carbon emissions is accurate. And, and this, of course, re- refers to the direct emissions a producer makes what is also known as scope one emissions, but also covering other emissions up and down the the value chain, what are also known as scope two and scope three emissions. Uh, And and this can be quite tricky, especially the scope three emissions, because this includes all other indirect emissions uh, along a company's value chain. Um, Now, um, I guess one of the challenges is that At present, there is a wide variety of approaches uh, in terms of how to measure carbon emissions. There are a series of international standards on these uh, from ISO and from the the GHG protocol. Um, There are standards at the national level. For instance, in the UK, of course, there is a standard, uh, the, the PAS 2050. Clarifications Corner. PAS 2050 was first published in 2018 and revised in 2011. It is a UK government-sponsored specification for the assessment of the life-cycle greenhouse gas emissions of goods and services. There are standards in France, in the US. There are standards at the sectoral level. So if you go into specific sectors like, like for instance, cement or steel, there may be a few specific standards, 
But of course, this all creates a, a bit of a fragmented situation, right? Where it's not clear which standards should be followed uh, across the board. Uh, and this is where potentially we could have a trouble when it comes to, to trade and, and, and maybe some trade tensions arising out of this uh, sort of a emerging fragmentation. Um, and then maybe just uh, in terms of those consequences for trade, maybe I think I'll, I'll pass the floor to Devin so that he elaborates a bit on, on, on what I mean. I think the key issue then is really thinking about um, the fact that there is a lot of divergence in the policies taken by countries and uh, the policy mix is being used. And then this creates a challenge around um, ensuring a level playing field. And this is a problem because if um, countries have very different uh, types of carbon emission reduction regimes or carbon prices, this then can undermine uh, the competitiveness of those industries that are in uh, countries with more stringent policies. And that can then lead to carbon leakage and actually undermine the environmental effectiveness of the policy in the first place. Um, and that's why you, you see now proposals, for example, for the EU uh, CBAM, the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, and there are other similar policies being discussed in other, um, in other countries. Um, to try to really address this level playing field problem. But again, the risk here is that actually these efforts to address the fragmentation in the first place will lead to even more uh, fragmentation with many different approaches. And that can be counterproductive both from an environmental point of view and also from, from a trade point of view. That's really interesting. Thank you both for that. Just going a bit deeper into the challenges, um, what would you see as a particular challenge, let's say, for um like producers or like in the regulatory context? Could you give me some context around that? Sure. No, maybe just to, I think one of the big challenges then is um, about ensuring that, you know, standards can be used to measure in a consistent um, way in different countries. Mm -hmm. And then also that there's, a, that there's an appropriate system of verification behind that to ensure trust in those measurements. And so it might be kind of relatively obvious uh, to measure carbon emissions in uh, developed rich countries where, you know, there's a lot of um, data available, historic data that, that can allow for a really clear measurement. But if you're looking at developing countries where you may not have that data, the institutions and infrastructure may not be there to, to, to measure in the same way, and that can create real problems and, and actually undermine uh, the, com the carbon competitiveness of of producers in developing countries, which may actually have certain um, advantages in terms of how they produce um, and, and the technologies that they may, for example, be using that may be less carbon intensive. But they can't, if they can't demonstrate that mm -hmm. um, and can't prove that, they can't then take advantage of, of the opportunities that will be created by, by the net zero transition. Just going back to the point that Matteo was making earlier about COP20, um, COP26 and the importance of standards, like M Mr. Guterres established an expert group meeting to propose standards um, to, um, to measure and analyze net zero commitment. So I feel like there is a global understanding of the importance of standards um, in this area. So Matteo, how can standards help the transition to a low carbon economy? Thank you for that question, Cindy. I mean, I think by your reference to Secretary General Guterres really uh, indeed hammers the point home because basically it's an important indication that there is now perhaps a, a deficit of credibility. I think that's the way he put it. And mm -hmm. also a bit of a surplus of confusion in terms of what should be the right metrics uh, in terms of decarbonizing the economy. So here, I, I think maybe I would like to make three key points. The first one is that it's absolutely paramount that the same yardsticks, and that's why we use the, 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 the term yardstick in our article, that the same yardsticks or standards are used for measuring carbon emissions. Otherwise, that makes comparisons between products in terms of their carbon intensity very difficult. Uh, and as Devin was pointing out when he referred to, uh, you know, trade tensions and the emergence of border carbon adjustments, 
if comparisons are difficult in terms of carbon intensities, um, these can lead to credibility issues, to unpredictability for business, and of course, to trade tensions. Um, now, in terms of, 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 of how to solve that, uh, there is a clear sort of general message in that regard, which is we need to align methodologies as much as possible in terms of carbon emissions quantification. Um, if we do that, we will be able to then have proper fair comparisons between products and also uh, sort of uphold the environmental integrity of emissions reductions pledges. Maybe just perhaps a try to illustrate with an example. In order to have effective emissions reductions worldwide, authorities, governments, uh, the stakeholders more widely need to make sure that a reduction in one ton of CO2 emissions by a company, let's say in Colombia, my country, is equivalent to a reduction of one ton of carbon emissions by another company in let's say Germany or, or Australia. So un unless we do that, it will become very difficult to compare the carbon content of products. Uh, and I guess here I would like to highlight um, one important initiative, um, which includes of course the, the British Standards Institution, the BSI, which is a, an initiative uh, that uh, you're undertaking with the ISO mm -hmm. and also with the UN-led Race to Zero campaign to try and optimize the use of standards uh, by encouraging more consistency in measurement and reporting uh, across a variety of, of, of relevant standards in this area. Um, so that's sort of one possible contribution to this, to this solution. Another angle uh, coming more from the side of the WTO is basically uh, the, the, the importance that WTO rules, and in particular, the technical barriers to trade agreement, place on harmonizing um, technical regulations uh, sort of around international standards. Mm -hmm. There are a variety of disciplines there that uh, strongly encourage WTO members to make sure that their technical regulations, in this case, technical regulations having a bearing on, 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 on carbon emissions, are harmonized around relevant international standards. Um, so that's one way in which WTO rules can support this alignment, this needed alignment with, um, um, with sort of a, a few key or core methodologies uh, so that we avoid a scenario of increasing fragmentation uh, around standards. Just to add, um, you know, we can, I think, of course, this is really important, the point that Matteo made about encouraging and, and, and promoting harmonization of approaches and methodologies um, in terms of how we measure emissions. Mm -hmm. But that may not be enough, and 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 there may you know there there's, there may still actually be very practical challenges in in applying these these methodologies for measurement, um, say in in developing countries where um, there may be very complex supply chains or the structure of suppliers can make it very difficult to actually um, do that kind of carbon accounting carbon measurement exercise. Mm -hmm. uh, just to give you an example uh, from a study that was done in Thailand looking at um, the, the carbon footprint of uh, pre-made meals like, say, green curry, chicken green curry. And here, trying to look at and assess, for example, the, the life cycle emissions of rice or of, of the chicken, which, which are coming from, say, more than 30 farms or the rice coming from more than 100 smallholder farmers, it's extremely difficult um, and may not actually give an accurate or fair picture of the carbon footprint. You know, it may lead to, um, it, it, in that type of situation, the standards that we may have now uh, may not be adequately adapted actually to deal with that kind of very complex um, 
structure of production or or more informal structures of production that may exist in different countries. So that's just a point I think to keep in mind that whenever we talk about harmonization mm-hmm. um, and and that from from that sort of WTO point of view, it always there's always an acknowledgement that actually for some countries it's not a one size fits all situation, and so you may need to be thinking about how to actually fill in those gaps or adapt or even develop new standards, new international standards that can more better take account of those types of different realities that are facing uh, different countries and producers. That's a great point, Devin. And I believe that relates to the TBT Committee's six principles for the development of international standards, where the sixth one is the development dimension. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and those principles, um, we can talk about them a bit more later on maybe, but just to say that that these were developed quite a few years ago in, in the year uh, 2000 actually by WTO members at the time they recognized that there was a bit of a, a, a general sort of challenge with with the with the TBT agreement so the TBT agreement um, which you know binds all WTO members in terms of how they you know prepare adopt um, and apply standards and regulations and that challenge was that the agreement encourages um, or requires actually uh, WTO members to use relevant international standards but at the same time, it doesn't actually say which standards are relevant um, in which situations. And that can also then lead to this, again, problem of fragmentation and confusion. And this is, becomes more apparent when you compare the, this uh, W2 agreement to, to another very similar agreement dealing with food safety and animal plant life and health issues, which is the sanitary and phytosanitary measures agreement, the SPS agreement. And then that agreement, there are actually three specific um, intergovernmental standardizing bodies that are recognized under the agreement. So that makes the the point of convergence of harmonization much more obvious. So in in a way, that's what the six principles try to actually uh, fill in this gap by rather than, you know, naming certain standards bodies, the approach is rather to identify how the standard should be set. Uh, that it should be transparent, the process, that it should be open uh, to at least all WTO members, that there should be, uh, that, that different standards should be coherent. Um, and importantly, uh, to come back to your point, that developing um, countries have a real say in the process, that they're really able to participate effectively, that, that their voice actually shapes the standard. Um, and and that's, that's a challenge, of course, because it's also a resource issue. Um, richer countries have more capacity, they have a bigger private sector, more more involved, um, are, they will be more involved naturally in developing technical standards. So that's part of the, the tension and, and challenge. There was this one phrase that I saw in your paper that I really liked, the manner in which international standards for measuring carbon um, are set will have a decisive impact on the extent to which those standards are actually used as the basis for con- or, for convergence. Sorry, um, do you do you want to elaborate a bit on that? Absolutely, and, and maybe if I may, but of course, Devin, feel free to jump in. Um, sure. I, I think uh, you know this. This is really a key point uh, because just going back to the six principles that Devin mentioned, you know, this this call for transparency, for openness, for coherence, and importantly, to also uh, take into account the development dimension. All of those issues are crucial to ensure that we have a green transition, a transition to a low carbon economy that includes all countries around the world. Because uh, what we want to avoid is basically a situation in which we end up with, with a world that has succeeded in making that transition by, by having you know, the, the most uh, advanced standards, um, by having uh, the, the most advanced technology, etc. And, and another world in which basically the transition cannot succeed because their specific circumstances and conditions uh, have not been properly reflected in the creation of, of standards in this area. Uh, so that's why potentially the, the six principles of the TBT committee can be helpful because if, if one were to follow them in developing uh, 
carbon emission standards, uh, one would ensure that you know relevant information would be made available to all parties. That you know there is a sufficient opportunity for for written comments to be provided by all parties. Uh, you would avoid a situation in which there are conflicting international standards, which is, of mm-hmm. course, important. And then once again, just to reiterate, because it is indeed crucial, you would also ne- ensure that the constraints of developing countries are considered and, and addressed. Thanks a lot for that, uh, Matteo. But now moving beyond standards, what is the role of a system of conformance and certification um, to ensure and demonstrate compliance? Devin, would you like to have a go? Sure, thank you. So I guess I, I would I would approach that question this way to say that um, to to really deliver and to ensure the sort of trust and confidence in in the measurements of of, of carbon emissions and the accounting that's really been done, having a, a, a system of, of, of verification uh, to underpin that is is vitally important. So even if, let's say, um, producers in two different countries are using the same standard to measure uh, and account for their emissions, if there isn't this kind of um, certification or, or some type of verification behind it, it may be very difficult to actually, to actually um, have confidence in, 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 in the results that, that you get out of that process. And, and I think this also comes becomes very important when we think about um, trade and we think about, say, producers in, in developing countries that want to uh, be able to demonstrate and prove their carbon competitiveness. So as, as we were saying a bit earlier, there may be just factors and, and, and um, situations and, and production processes and technologies that actually mean that producers in developing countries are actually much more efficient um, from a carbon point of view in producing something as compared to, say, a producer in in the EU or or another developed country. But if there isn't an adequate system and and institutions underpinning um, those measurements to to really prove that those, um, that, that 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 production process is more efficient, then, then those producers won't be able to take advantage of that. And this is sometimes what we call the, the quality infrastructure or the national quality infrastructure when we're talking about the institutions that underpin this. And this is things like standards are part of that, but also, of course, uh, accreditation, metrology, um, conformity assessment bodies and certification, all of those um, services and institutions that work together to allow these types of um, uh, measurements and claims to be made. So just to give it, um, to give an example, uh, again, from Thailand, because we're, maybe we, we want to go on holiday to Thailand, so we're thinking a lot about <laughs> Thailand. <laughs> but um, if we look, for example, at steel production in Thailand, there have been some studies looking at this, and they actually found quite interestingly that um, if you look at the CO2 intensity um, for producing steel in, in Thailand, it's actually both direct and indirect emissions. It's much more efficient, say, than uh, steel production in, in say, the European Union. Mm-hmm. So for, sta- for Thai steel producers, if they need to, for example, meet certain requirements in the EU market or they need to prove their, um, their carbon emissions when they're, when they're putting their product on the market, if they're not able to demonstrate that, um, and have that be recognized, that could be really be a major disadvantage. And they may, for example, then be subject to, say, a default uh, CO2 intensity value, say, that, that might be applying in the, in the European Union or some other country, which may disadvantage them. Um, so it really comes to this point about giving producers the opportunity to take advantage of those, uh, of, of um, the, the new low-carbon markets and to fill that demand that's going to be created by or is being created um, and will only grow in the net zero transition. And I think a second point here, related point, is also about a challenge about proliferation of many different um, verification schemes. And so if we look at um, supply chains, say for agricultural products or or other types of products, um, where you have suppliers 
say in developing countries that are that are providing inputs to these supply chains. Um, there may be, of course, governmental requirements um, that are maybe based on standards that apply through regulation mm -hmm. to those to those products. But there may also be private requirements, private standards that a company or group of companies may have developed. And then those are being applied also to suppliers in the supply chain. And these private standards, quote unquote, private standards, this is the kind of term we use in the WTO, can be even less transparent, more difficult to comply with uh, for, for producers. And this is a, really a cost issue because it may be that there is a requirement to have many different um, uh, certifications and, and labeling requirements to be met, for example, um, and this then just adds up the cost um, for, for these producers. So that's, that's a major challenge to, to make sure that this proliferation doesn't just continue and that there's more coherence also in the, in the verification side of things as well. Now, we'll pick up the second part of Cindy's conversation with Devon and Matteo shortly. But before that, Cindy, shall we have the Standards Desk of News? Yep, let's do it. Purpose-Driven Organizations there's a growing requirement for organisations to truly understand why they do business and also to factor in the increasingly urgent needs of people and planet so that these are at the heart of strategy and operations and become the true measures of success. PAS 808 is a new guidance document setting out what it means to be a purpose-driven organisation or PDO. A PAS is a fast-track standard, and this PAS outlines the worldviews, principles, and the associated behaviours and activities of a PDO, and establishes common terms and definitions related to purpose. It also provides the basis for an organisation to develop its own approaches to enact and embed purpose in their policies, processes, practices, and products. All the P's there. Have your say on tables. Yes, tables. Just imagine where we'd be without tables. All tables, though, need to be safe for users. BSEN 12521 specifies a requirement for the safety, strength and durability of all types of domestic tables, including those with glass in their construction. The standard is used by table and furniture manufacturers, glass manufacturers and suppliers, product and furniture designers, and quality control teams. Comments are welcome on a revision of BSEN 12521. Better look sharp though, the commenting window closes soon. And not tables, but new chairs please. At BSI, our volunteer committee chairs lead the way for national committees in being the voice of the UK in developing national, regional and international standards. And we are currently looking for new chairs in a couple of interesting committees. GSE 5, the recently convened Coordinating Committee for Formal Standards in Hydrogen, is looking for a chair with, well, a strong interest in hydrogen. An MS6, the Committee for Methodologies for Business Process Improvement Using Statistical Method is looking for a committee chair with, well, a strong interest in business process improvement. As for all of our standards makers, including committee chairs, we welcome applicants from all backgrounds and stages in their career and value both experience and fresh perspectives. Apply now. Details of how to do so and the links for all the other stories can be found in the show notes. And that's the Standards Desk of News. In the first part of my conversation with Devin and Matteo, we established the importance of standards and quality infrastructure in the measurement and verification of carbon content in products and processes. In this second part, we will look at the type of support developing countries need to help move towards that low-carbon economy and to help their SMEs to integrate into green global value chains. But we start by looking at a key challenge to the global trading system, offshoring to avoid CO2 regulations. 
I asked them whether the WTO should be more proactive and develop an international standards framework for each high carbon emitting sector in partnership with international standards bodies, and whether we should develop the measures and certification that would demonstrate compliance without going through the whole agony of claim and counterclaim of unfair trade restrictions when the going gets tough. This time, starting with Devin. I, I'm glad you, in, it, it, it's, it's a tough question, I think, but I'm glad you mentioned the role of international standards uh, bodies, because I think this is really a crucial point. Um, that's maybe not so clear to everyone, that the WTO as such does not set standards. We don't set product standards, and that's not our role at all. Instead, we have agreements like the Technical Barriers to Trade Agreement, which promote convergence or harmonization on the basis of international standards um, or regional standards, as the case may be, but usually we're talking about international standards that are being set in those uh you know, technical bodies where the expertise lies um, to to develop those standards. So that's the first point. Um, I guess in terms of the idea, I think it's a very interesting idea because when we talk about the issues around, you know, level playing field and, and the concern about offshoring of, of emissions, in you know, sort of at least at carbon prices that we're talking about today, and of course we can expect that carbon prices are going to rise dramatically over time, but at, at carbon prices that we can sort of imagine today, those concerns are really focused on certain sectors. It's not that it's going to affect the entire economy, but some some types of industries that are very carbon intensive, very energy intensive, um, may be more affected. You know the 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 ones that you think of typically are steel, cement, or chemicals. Um, you know those types of industries. So maybe there is space to actually think about on a sector basis. Can we come up with cooperative approaches um, to, for example, have a common way of measuring um, and and certifying uh, emissions in those sectors? And th these initiatives are happening already today. Um, but maybe there could be a role, for instance, um, for if WTO members saw that role for, for that type of discussion to take place here at the WTO. And if you look back um, to negotiations taking place you know, several years ago um, under the Doha round at the time, and their members were talking about how to make the TBT agreement work better. Mm -hmm. um, this was in the so-called NAMA, Non-Agricultural Market Access uh, Negotiations, looking at non-tariff barriers to trade. And there, there was talk about, should we actually give more clarity to the TBT agreement, whether generally or in a sector basis to identify certain disciplines or to really actually um, name certain standards that need to be followed as the basis for, for international um, harmonization and convergence. So that could be one route that, that may be worth exploring to help sort of give a bit more um, clarity and, and avoid these types of uh, potential um, trade frictions that can arise. If I may just quickly jump in, just because, uh, you know, Devin's great answer focused a, a little bit on, on the role of standards and the WTO in sort of providing some, some convergence in that area. I think I would also like to highlight that the WTO and, and WTO rules also play a very important role when it comes to verification. The, the other point that Devin was mentioning earlier, right? So in that context, uh, WTO disciplines already promote harmonization with respect to, you know, verification processes or what we call here conformity assessment procedures. Um, and, and disciplines even go further by encouraging members to accept uh, whenever possible, the results of these verification procedures performed by other members. Um, so when it comes to the green transition, I think there is also scope for further work uh, in that context so that uh, sort of a, the, the green transition is not sort of stalled by then issues related to, to verification, which can have a a significant impact when it comes to to goods uh, crossing borders. And maybe if I can just then add on a bit more, which is that uh, I think there's there's plenty that can be learned from how to deal with this 
the 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 point that Matteo just made very important point about promoting the recognition of of certificates and and test res, test reports you know from between countries because that's a huge it's it's not just about we're not just talking here about um, environmental requirements or, or climate requirements that's a huge issue across mm -hmm. all uh, product sectors that you have this trade as well of, of yeah. testing etc yeah. it, it affects all of trade and over you know you, we there are systems that, and and networks and arrangements that have developed you have the for example ILAC and IAF that help you know through cooperation between accreditation bodies to help reduce these barriers you have some sectoral um, conformity um, schemes that are run by the IEC for example for electrical and electronic products that's one that's really well known that help a bit um, and, and so that can provide that type of experience can maybe provide inspiration and another source of inspiration is also what's happening in regional and bilateral trade agreements outside the WTO. And there you see um, the trend very much in the regulatory and standard space is that um, countries and groups of countries getting together and developing more specific sector specific rules, whether it's for medical devices or uh, cosmetics or um, alcoholic beverages or chemicals or whatever it may be, um, to really zoom in because there's a realization that the types of big picture solutions that you can imagine on regulations and standards, well, they only have a limited use. You really actually need to get very much into the details of each sector to, to sort of promote and find solutions that can, can, you know, ease burdens for business, for trade, and, and then also allow the regulatory objectives of, of all the countries involved to be met effectively. Yes, and this all goes back to the point that you were making initially about um, the importance of having a, a national quality infrastructure system that is internationally recognized to enable the mutual recognition of conformity assessment um, certificates, etc. So quality, the quality infrastructure system is so fundamental, and this now nicely segues into our next question on helping developing countries to integrate into global value chains and to move towards a low economy, a low carbon economy. Um, what kind of partnership or support do you think is required? Matteo, do you want to start? I think you're touching on a very important point, uh, which is indeed the fact that many developing countries face important challenges uh, in terms of the, the green transition due to gaps in their quality infrastructure system. And, and when we speak about quality infrastructure, uh, as, as Devin rightly pointed out, we're talking about a series of activities that include standardization, accreditation, conformity assessment, metrology, market surveillance, basically all of those activities that... <clears throat> In, in effect, uh, serve to put in place a system uh, that sort of supports and, and enhances quality, safety, and, and, and sort of soundness and, 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 and provides the confidence needed uh, by consumers, by, by authorities, that goods meet certain specific requirements. So in, in many de developing countries, there are gaps in this infrastructure. And as a result, the, there may be uncertainty about whether a, a product coming from, from a specific developing country complies with a standard, for instance, or whether the, the verification processes can be trusted. Um, and this is a problem. Uh, for example, uh, as, as Devin was mentioning earlier, for developing countries, this is particularly challenging because it may prevent them from demonstrating their own carbon competitiveness in this world in which we will see more and more often the emergence of trade-related climate measures like border carbon adjustments. So just to give an example, if we think about you know, countries in, in the African continent where, where they have you know, abundant sunshine, uh, great manual labor, natural compost to produce, you know, fruits and, fruits and vegetables. If they do not have the right quality infrastructure institutions in place, they may not be able to demonstrate that their fruits and vegetables, uh, 
which are quite carbon competitiveness uh, that are quite uh, quite carbon competitive um, are actually uh, sort of a even more competitive to fruits and vegetables uh, produced in the northern hemisphere uh, that require for instance heated greenhouses uh, tractors manufactured fertilizer etc so so we need to avoid that situation in which basically even products that are carbon competitive cannot enter the 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 market of developed countries because of gaps in the in the quality infrastructure system um, and this is basically also of course about ensuring a just transition a term that we hear more and more often in the news um, unless we sort of assist developing countries in sort of a, making sure that they have all the tools to quantify their carbon emissions and then to verify those measurements uh, it is highly likely that that these countries uh, and and their 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 companies particularly small and medium sized enterprises will fail to sort of integrate into into green global value chains um, and this basically creates a major concern in terms of, of just transition. I, what I'm hearing from, um, from you is that we need to provide technical assistance to developing countries in, in strengthening their quality infrastructure system. Absolutely. Yeah. Technical okay. assistance is, is one component. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, I mean, there, there, there are different ways of doing this. So, I mean, maybe just to, 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 to throw in a few examples. Standards already disseminate crucial knowledge, you know, because they already sort of uh, capture, you know, the, the right approach and methods to, to, to conduct a certain process or, uh, or, or, or production process. So, so disseminating standards mm-hmm. already helps these countries uh, have the right knowledge. Um, the same thing can be said in terms of, of verification, because when conformity assessment procedures are based on international uh, sort of guidance and recommendations, um, developing countries and, and least developed countries can benefit from that. So, in a sense, uh, there is no need to reinvent the wheel. We have to to really work on, on disseminating the knowledge that already exists and that will uh, still be produced, of course, uh, in, in the coming years on this very technical area of, of carbon emissions measurement and verification. Super. So it's um, helping developing countries to really make use of um, the standards that exist, helping them participate in developing new standards, um, and also to bolster the quality infrastructure system to ensure the verification and robustness of the test results. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Can I just jump in, Cindy? Because I yeah. wanted to add here. Because I think you, you made a very, yeah, your summary is perfect. And I think what we see. It, in at least at discussions at the WTO and and also you know in in how we engage with all the other um, international organizations and, and and other bodies donors that are providing technical assistance is that there is a lot of unmet demand for assistance um, and and investment in the quality infrastructure in um, in developing countries and for in, for instance if you look at um, on the African continent, um, there's there have been quite a few studies looking at the level of development of the quality infrastructure, and you know more than half of African countries still don't have today, a, you know, an adequately developed quality infrastructure, and that's such a huge um, disadvantage in terms of um, you know integrating um, economic taking advantage of economic opportunities and and, and development. So it's it's really a huge challenge. Um, one idea that's been discussed um, at the level of the WTO TBT committee is, is there a need for a, a sort of a coordinating type mechanism or, or some sort of additional project mechanism for um, 
projects and 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 assistance in the TBT and standards related area, building on the kind of experience that again comes from the, the food safety and animal plant life and health area. And for that, uh, for those topics, you have something called the Standards and Trade Development Facility, mm -hmm. the STDF, which is a partnership between uh, the WTO, uh, FAO, World Bank, and and other organizations, um, which funds a number of small projects in developing and least developed countries to help you know better implement international standards and 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 do and and take advantage of trade opportunities so could something like that also be thought of further in the in the area of of um technical barriers to trade and, and other broader sort of the broader standards area that's that's one thought um to to keep in mind now devin made a really good suggestion there and having worked in this quality infrastructure and capacity building space for a while, particularly in Africa, I can say that QI is not prioritized enough and it's extremely difficult to secure resources to invest in it for various reasons, including its intangible nature. But that being said, there are pockets of great work being done to strengthen the national quality infrastructure system of developing countries with the support of numerous international organizations. And if we have a coordinating mechanism, as Devin was describing, we could make much better use of the scarce resources that are being invested. During my conversation with them both, Devin and Matteo really opened up the debate around carbon emissions, trade and standards and highlighted some of the challenges to come. So as a final question, I asked Devin about how BSI and the standards community could help the WTO to deliver the next steps on this journey to avoid trade friction. Uh, it's, it's a really important point and, and it, it, it touches on, again, the fact that BSI um, as as a standards body and and other national standards bodies around the world have such a such an essential role to play here in in helping ensure that the standards that we need for for the net zero transition are you know adequately adapted to realities of all countries and to really help enable this just transition to the net zero economy. And so I think, you know, as a standards body, I think really continuing to do what you're doing in terms of collaborating at the international level to, you know, again, promote coherence, to ensure that the the six principles that we spoke about before are, are being applied in all the different, you know, standards bodies that you also participate in at the international level. That's a really important role that, that you play. And this type of collaboration helps to then avoid the pitfalls that we've been talking about that can arise around fragmented methodologies or verification processes that might you know be very costly or may not provide enough trust and also to avoid the developing world being um, left behind in the in the green transition so i think you know again standards have such a key role to play here in in delivering this bigger and really vital um, net zero um, transition agenda for for the entire world for us at the wto when that work is done um, really well and effectively, it means actually that we have, have have less work to do because that that means naturally that there'll be less trade issues that arise, um, and that's that's ultimately the goal. I mean, we want to make as as much as possible these this to be a coherent system where everyone is using a, the same approach, um, and that then makes trade and supply chains work much more smoothly. You have been listening to an episode of The Standard Show with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Subscribe to us now wherever you get your podcasts. You just heard a stripped media production.